the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor, and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD. We're coming at you on WGUL860 AM. We are the answer, as you now know, because I've been barking that at you for a few weeks. You can reach us at AM860 WGUL if you're in the Tampa Bay area. Outside of the Tampa Bay area, you can get me on iHeart, and I'm on 9 to 10 every Sunday. So if you have your smartphone, just go for 860 WGUL, 9 to 10 a.m., and you can listen to me as you drive. Also, you can Google me anywhere in the world at 860-WGUL.com. That's 860-WGUL.com. Now, this is interactive talk radio, and so I welcome people to call in and answer my questions. We'll give you a little gift certificate for answering a question or if you have something to say on the topic. But I do stick with one topic as a general rule. We are at locally 813-289-1860. That's 813-289-1860. And toll free anywhere in North America, Puerto Rico, probably anywhere in the world now. I don't know if if our phone system reaches Russia yet, but we'll find out. 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. Well, I'm fascinated with what's going on between the White House and some of the major powers in Iran. Apparently, the president and his team are in favor of giving the Iranians or letting the Iranians develop a breeder reactor. What the heck is a breeder reactor? If you want to make more nuclear fuel while you're burning up fuel, you can collect some of the breakdown products. We call them daughter isotopes of the uranium reaction in a nuclear reactor. Basically, they're just big steam and uh, steam uh, cookers and the steam drives engines or turbines that makes electricity. Well, but you can also collect highly purified plutonium which you can use to make a nuclear bomb. So you can use what you recycle for a number of things. There are some things that we recycle from the breakdown products in a nuclear reactor for medicine, uh, for science and industry, and also to make another bomb. So everybody's upset. Guess who's the most upset? The people living right near the Iranians, the Persians. And one big unhappy 
nation is Saudi Arabia. Well, guess who's making nice with Saudi Arabia? South Korea. So South Korea and Saudi Arabia have signed an agreement to build two breeder reactors in Saudi Arabia. And then they'll share the, the uh, isotopes, the plutonium or whatever that they need to collect out of there to make their own bombs. Makes sense for the South Koreans because they're right next door to the North Koreans who have five to ten nuclear warheads and are basically insane. But what's the problem with the Saudis? Their biggest rival in that region has been Persia, Iran, and those of you who have studied the Old Testament, you know about the Persians even way back in antiquity conquering that area, conquering Iraq and, and the whole Arabian Peninsula. So this blood feud goes back way before Islam, way before Christianity. It goes back to the earliest establishment of civilizations in these two parts of the world. So what we know as Iran was previously known as Persia. And you know the country that Obama is placating is Iran by giving the go-ahead to buy more centrifuges, and I'll tell you about those in a little bit, build breeder reactors. And now two more countries are headed into becoming nuclear powers. You know, this doesn't seem fair. All these countries, itty-bitty postage stamp countries like South Korea, get a bomb. Well, you know, our Second Amendment says we can arm ourselves, and our government has nuclear bombs, so we should be able to match that. Why don't we build a bomb? We could do it. I'm going to tell you how. But first, let's look at some of the politics. What the heck? Everybody's having a bomb. And it's not that hard once we have the nuclear fuel to do it. That's the problem. And uranium is all over the place, ubiquitous, so to speak. There are big deposits in Canada. There are some in the United States. There's humongous deposits in Australia. So between the United States, Australia, and Canada, we have about 40 to 50% of the reserves of uranium and deposits and the production that is the making of the uranium into a more purified form that can be used in a nuclear reactor the biggest country the biggest producer is Canada didn't know that did you nice peaceful Canadians with their uh, anti-war and anti-US songs like American Woman you remember that one way back when don't want your war machine don't want your ghetto scene, all that. But they're, they're a big player. And we actually get a lot of nuclear material from them. In fact, some of the nuclear material I use in the cardiac nuclear lab, in the heart lab, comes from Canada. So we have the reserves for this. And guess who else has the reserves? Well, the sods, they have some. So they're going to mine it. The Russians have some. Kazakhstan has a whole lot, and they're still nice and friendly with the Russians, so the Russians can sell more to Iran. And we can help Saudi Arabia, if we want to, balance the power out there. So the Sauds reportedly signed this nuclear cooperation agreement with South Korea a few weeks ago, and this is heightening fears of a new nuclear arms race. Where? In the Middle East. 
this is one of the most unstable parts of the world, and these folks are getting nuclear bombs. <laughs> Some view this agreement as retaliation for the United States and the Allies giving Tehran, giving the Iranians the go-ahead for building more breeder reactors and ordering more centrifuges, which are what you have to have to separate out the radioactive part of the uranium. So that the Saudi former intelligence chief, Prince Al-Faisal, publicly warned Riyadh would match any nuclear capabilities Iran is allowed to maintain or develop. And the Saudis say that they can enrich uranium and harvest weapons-grade plutonium. And that's part of the spent fuel. If you're just joining us, we're talking about how to build your own nuclear bomb. So the U.S. would allow Tehran to continue production in limited capacity and under strict international monitoring. How's that worked out so far? Not so good. So you got this big rivalry between the Sunnis and the Shias. The Shiites are the Iranian Muslims, and the Sunnis are the Arab Muslims. And Saudi Arabia is a big player in the Arab world. So they're natural enemies. As well, guess who Saudi Arabia has a little packed with, who they're tight with? They're tight with Pakistan. And the Pakistanis are notorious for selling nuclear material and nuclear information, how to make your own material. So it's a mess in the developing here. The military alliance between the Sauds and the Pakistanis, the brain power and technology of South Korea, access to stores of uranium, mining the uranium, bringing it out of the ground, turning it from raw uranium into highly enriched uranium that can be used in nuclear reactors. It's a mess coming, folks. By the way, you probably want to know, who has all the atomic bombs? Well, the United States uh, has 7,300 warheads, and Russia has 8,000 warheads. Some of those have probably been dissembled uh, since the agreement was reached, but we still have a ton of them around. A part of the problem is that over time, the radioactivity in these bombs decreases and the electrical circuits go bad and you're left with a bomb that doesn't work. So then you have to figure out how to get the warhead apart and recycle it. And we've helped the Russians do that. So we have 7,300. They have 8,000. Ours are probably better maintained. At least they were until the Obama administration came in. Great Britain has 225. France, 300. China, 250. India, about 100. Pakistan, about 100. North Korea, 6 to 8. Guess who stuck a few warheads here and there and stashed them in the desert somewhere? The Israelis. They have 80 warheads. So... If the Iranians attack the Israelis, the Israelis are going to counter, and there will be no more Iran. So we'll see how that works out. I don't think it's going to work out very well. So you say, okay, 
You're going to build me a bomb? Yeah, I'm going to build you a bomb. By the way, my first question is how much uranium, purified uranium, U-235, does it take to make an atomic bomb? I want to know how many pounds of this stuff I need to be able to make a bomb that will blow up like Hiroshima or Nagasaki. Give me a call at 877 969 8600 That's 877-969-8600. And my first question is, is how much U-235 purified uranium do I need to make an atomic bomb? Well, you all know that nuclear power plants use uranium for fuel. Not just any uranium, but a certain isotope of uranium. It's number 92 on the periodic table. Remember when you had to study that in in science in school? And there's one type of uranium atom. We call it U-235, which easily splits to produce energy. How does this happen? We take a subatomic particle called a neutron, and we shoot it at the U-235. And when it hits the U-235 atoms, the U-235 gives off energy, and spits out another neutron. And so we start a chain reaction. And if we have small amounts of the U-235, say 3 to 5% in our mix, and we get them close enough, we can start a chain reaction that will create a lot of heat. And that heat will boil water, and the water will drive electric turbines. And that's how a nuclear energy plant works. What's the difference between the uranium-235 and 238? They're both the same. They both have 92 protons. The proton is how we identify an element. So we all know about hydrogen, right? Hydrogen is the simplest of the, of the atoms. It's one proton and one electron. The proton has a positive charge, the electron a negative charge. Electrons are what we use for electricity to drive all of our lights and gadgets and internet and everything else. You've got to think of it like the proton is Earth and the electron is the moon. And the protons are bigger than the electrons. But the electrons have, like our moon, they have some energy in them that is allowing them to not be sucked back into Earth's orbit. They have their own energy in terms of what they were given when it was created, our moon. And that energy allows the moon to to orbit the Earth without getting pulled back into the Earth. And in fact, the moon is gradually moving away from us. Protons and electrons like to hang close to each other. So we know uranium is is a heavy metal, heavy, heavy, about 1.6 times the weight of lead. We got a caller. Steve in St. Petersburg has the answer. Steve, what's up, bud? Hi there. Hey. Uh, uh, you, you want the answer to that question? Absolutely. 28.3 pounds to, for the, the bomb that uh, was dropped on Hiroshima. That's right. And how, how, how big a quantity do you think that is? 28.3 pounds? Not very much. No, it'll fit in a, in a one-gallon bucket easily. Oh, no, it'd fit probably since it's, since the... Uh, Uranium is atomic number 92 and weighs 238 grams uh, for approximately, uh, you know, a mole. The, uh, yep. uh, it, uh, that's a half a pound uh, the, for a mole. Anyway, as the case may be, uh, 
And it took uh, it only took about uh, for the one on Nagasaki, which was plutonium. That that took that took a bit less. Yeah, that was about twenty five pounds. No, no, pounds. it was about nine pounds. Oh, really? I I had read that it was twenty five, but, but well, whatever. We know it's a small amount. Well, what, and, what, what's what's most interesting is all, you know, the versus fusion versus fission. I'm a physicist by education, uh, and uh, the. Uh, the amount of energy released, you know, on, on the under the E equals M C squared law, yep, was about a half an ounce of wow. of, of matter turned into energy. Did to, to do the Hiroshima? Yep, <laughs> about That's a half an ounce. Cool. Yeah. Oh, and That's by the way, cool. it's nice to talk to you again. The uh, uh, I'm the fellow. I was in the uh, Saint Pete General. I'm the fellow that said to you, you have a voice for radio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you remember that. I do, Steve. I do. Now I remember. Well, stay on the line, and, and uh, my man Joe will give you uh, give him your, your uh, address, and he'll give that to my wife, and you'll get your $25 gift certificate to the restaurant of my wife's choice. Oh, okay. Th- thanks for calling, bud. Hey, you're welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. So we have the answer. It's a very small amount that we need of these highly purified uranium. Uranium comes in uh, two or three different isotopes. About 99 plus percent of it is U-238, which does not uh, break up easily into daughter atoms and give off energy. So we got to get the U-235 out of there. And we need something that's rich in neutrons. And uranium has a lot of neutrons as well as 92 protons, and it's a very heavy element, uh, as Steve just pointed out. And you can fit the amount you need into a bucket, so it's not a whole lot. What about reactors? Well, to make fuel for reactors, we don't need it as enriched as we do for a nuclear bomb. But we take the natural uranium ore... By the way, you can hold it in your hand. It's not going to do anything to you. You can hold a a big hunk of uranium, just the the ore itself, that's not been processed or enriched, and you're not going to have any significant radiation exposure because the U-238 decays at such a slow rate over millions of years, and there's so little of the U-235 in the uranium ore that it's not going to hurt you. So now we've got to increase the U-235. That's the stuff that'll fizz. They call it fizzile. It'll split. It'll break apart when it's bombarded with a neutron. But we've got to increase our basic ore to about 3 to 5% of U-235. Now, in nature, U-235 is less than 1% of the uranium ore. So first, we've got to get this stuff out of the ground. You can strip mine it. You can deep mine it different ways. And we've got to mill it, grind it down, and we've got to extract all the uranium out of there. And it makes a pretty cool-looking pan of, of uranium oxide, which is yellow. I mean, it's really bright yellow, like the yellow on a yellow jacket's uh, fur coat. So this is called yellow cake because it looks like a yellow cake looks like one of the cakes you'd buy at the store. Those of you who are cake eaters, you know about yellow cakes. And then this powder is converted into a gas called uranium 
hexafluoride or UF6. So in the U.S., this conversion is done at a number of plants. Principal one is Honeywell plant in Illinois. And this uranium fluoride 6 contains both the substance we want, the U-235, and the other one, which is the U-238, which is 99.9% of it. So we make a gas, and we have two gases now. One is heavier than the other. And you say, yeah, but that's an awfully small amount of difference. You're talking about subatomic particles. Yes, it is. And so it's a very lengthy process. It's very repetitive. It has to be done over and over and over. But the difference in weight allows the uraniums, the two different ones, to separate out. And so the gases are separated into two streams, one with more U-235 and the other with less. And we do this with big centrifuges. You know, those things that spin around. You've been in the doctor's office and seen the, uh, the little machine that spins the blood down after you have it drawn. We wait for it to clot and or not clot, depending on the test we're, we're going to do. And we throw the tube of blood into the centrifuge, and it spins it down, and the heavier substances go to the bottom and the lighter to the top. So we get the cells at the bottom, and then we get your serum or plasma at the top. Same thing happens with U-235 and U-238, but it's on a much, much, much smaller scale and a much, much more involved refining process. Now, this is one of the main things that you got to have if you're going to make a nuclear bomb, unless somebody gives you a whole bunch of U-235. You've got to be able to take the raw ore. You have to chemically make it into a gas form. You have to have umpteen centrifuges to spin it out, get the heavier U-238 out, and the lighter suck that out of your centrifuges. So this is one of the steps where we have been able to block people, other nations, from making a bomb. There was a big cache of centrifuges that was seized in Italy that was headed for Libya, about 30 years ago, and that put an end to Libya's nuclear aspirations. And the Israelis bombed the Iraqi plant that had all the centrifuges, and that pretty much killed their ability to make a bomb. And they were also broke, so they couldn't buy any more from the Russians or whoever was selling them. So you don't need one, you don't need 10, you don't need 100. You need thousands of these gas centrifuges. So what you do is you take the <clears throat> lighter gas and you cycle it back into the next centrifuge. It repeats the same process, and you do this over and over and over until you get the percentage of the radioactive uranium-235 that you want to use. So that's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to get somebody to sell us some enriched uranium. That might be tough, but we can get ready for it. There are other methods that are used, but basically the centrifuge is the most current and popular one. There's some kind of laser uh, extraction process that is being tried in the United States, but I'm sure that's still hush-hush and top secret. And there are different plants in the United States that centrifuge these gases and extract the more purified 
uranium that we use in reactors. And then if we purify it to about 90 to 95 percent U-235, that's what we need for a bomb. We can't use the fuel in a nuclear reactor because it's not enriched enough. And we don't want it enriched. And you say, well, what about Chernobyl? Didn't that thing blow up? Wasn't that a nuclear explosion? No, that was not. What happened is the coolant somehow got turned off because these things heat up. I mean, they're really hot. And so the core, which is where all of the uranium rods are that go in and out, and if you want to increase the heat, you put more rods into the, into the uh, core of your reactor, and there's water circulating around it, and this is boiled up into steam, and then it's put into the turbines, and the turbines are turned, and that's what makes the electricity. So what happened at Chernobyl is this thing heated up, superheated up. I mean, it heated up so much that it melted right through the crust of the earth. And it went down until it hit a water table, you know, underground water. And when it hit a water table, it was an explosion because that water was instantly turned into steam, superheated steam. And as we all know, gas expands more than water. The, the steam kaboom blew up, blew right through the facility and spewed out all the radioactivity that was in the core into the atmosphere and onto the ground. And so that's what happened there. It was not a nuclear explosion. It was a thermal, a heat explosion. And with any core and any nuclear reactor, that's all you can do. You cannot have it blow up like an atomic bomb. It will not do it. There's not enough U-235. It's not close enough together. It just won't work. And, you know, I've been in and out of different parts of the country for years traveling around and in Savannah I'm sorry in South Carolina north of Savannah there's a nuclear plant called the Savannah River plant that's in South Carolina and I would drive through there on my way to moonlighting when I lived in that part of the world and I never saw the plant itself but I did see the creek where some of the cooling water was discharged into and it was always steaming by the way the lore is that the first Israeli nuclear bomb was made from enriched U-235 from the Savannah River plant that it went missing back in the 60s or 70s. I don't, I don't know what the date is. And supposedly ended up in, our, in Israeli hands. And that was their first bomb. Now the Israelis purportedly have 60 to 80 nuclear warheads. Maybe we could be nice to them and they'll lend us some highly enriched uranium, huh? What do you think? Okay, so we know that 99.2% of the uranium ore is U-238, which doesn't work well. Can't use that for a nuclear reaction. And that a small percentage, less than 1%, is U-235. And with the enrichment process, if we can get about 2 to 3, I'm sorry, 3 to 4% of the U-235, 235, that's the stuff that does the work in our mix, then we can use that for our nuclear plants, our nuclear reactors, so we can make electricity. Now, for a weapon, we're going to need about 90 to 95% pure U-235. 
That's the problem. That's where we're probably going to get hung up as we start to make our bomb. But there are places in the United States where this uh, ore is converted into the gas, the uranium hexafluoride gas, and there are plants in the United States where that gas is then spun in these huge centrifuges and collected and even storage points. But I don't think that the government's going to give us all the info on that. We may have to ask Steve to look into that and see if he can find out where it is. Now, you say, how big are these centrifuges and what's so special about them? These guys are six to eight feet tall. They're humongous. And you've got to have thousands of them. And they're hooked one to another in, one, in a plant so that as the more purified, lighter gas comes out, it's shuttled into, it's shunted into the next centrifuge. But these things spin it 50 to 100,000 times per minute. So this is tough to make a centrifuge that can do that without burning it up. Well, you have to have magnetic ball bearings. That is, you have to have a magnet with positive on one side and negative on the other so that this thing can spin around like in air without burning itself up. Because, you know, 50 to 100,000 times a minute you're spinning around you're going to create a lot of heat unless you have a very neat, well-designed centrifuge. And it has to be perfectly balanced because if one of these things comes flying off at 100,000 revolutions per minute, it's going to destroy the factory. So it's not easy. And this is where these countries get hung up. Either the centrifuges they can't get or the Israelis blow them up or they can't do the enrichment, or they don't have the uranium basic ore. So it's a, it's a big process, and it's tough to do. Well, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee, and when I come back, we're going to start putting our nuclear bomb together. We can do it in my basement or yours. I don't care. We'll store it. We'll keep it safe and only use it if we need to. I'm Dr. Bill. I'll be right back. This is the end, my only friend, the end of our elaborate plans, the end of everything that stands, the end, no safety. AM 860, The Answer. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Officials on the tiny South Pacific archipelago of Vanuatu still don't know just how badly they were hit by Cyclone Pam and its 168 mile per hour winds. Two people are confirmed dead in the capital. That number is certain to rise. A U.S. charity says private aircraft will evacuate 10 of its staff from Sierra Leone to Ebola quarantine facilities in the U.S. Boston-based Partners in Health says one of their colleagues was infected earlier and is being treated here in this country already. 
After shunning the media for much of his tenure, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is on a media blitz trying to close a polling gap ahead of elections being held in two days. And three crew members in immersion suits have been rescued from a tugboat that sank in icy and stormy waters a mile off Fire Island, New York. The captain was killed in the mishap. This is SRN News. There's a reason why everybody from around the country makes up an excuse to come down here and visit. There's a reason why HSN started here, why they had the Republican National Convention here, the Final Four, the Outback Bowl, and the Super Bowl four times. Every time we host one of those big national events, people fly here from all over the place. They get off the plane with a big smile on their face. Ah, paradise. Yeah, guess what? We think that too. Every day when we walk out the front door. AM 860, The Answer. Attention credit card customers who may have spent a little too much this holiday season putting them into credit card debt. Every three minutes, another person falls further into credit card debt, and many credit card companies have nearly doubled their minimum monthly payment. Now people can barely afford to keep up, but we have great news. Thanks to a powerful program, anyone with $2,000 or more in credit card debt can cut their credit card payments up to half and reduce or eliminate interest charges altogether. We are a nationwide nonprofit helping U.S. residents cut their credit card payments for 20 years. Call 800-903-6424. The call and information are free. I cut my payment by over $600 and saved over $25,000 in interest. We've helped over 300,000 people eliminate their credit card debt, and now we can help you. Call 800-903-6424 to see how this powerful nonprofit program can work for you. Get free of credit card debt today. Call 800-903-6424. That's 800-903-6424. Again, 800-903-6424. Sometimes picking the right private Christian school for your kids can be a challenge. You know it's the right thing for their growth and development, but the cost can be a big question mark. Well, do we have a tuition solution for you in 2015? Half-price tuition at some of our area's best Christian schools, including Hillsdale Christian School in Tampa and First Baptist Brandon Christian Academy, all at superradiodeals.com. Log on and start saving on tuition in 2015 at superradiodeals.com. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. This is the morning vibe today. Otherwise, there will be a blend of clowns and sunshine. I-83 and patchy clowns are likely tonight, low 66. Tomorrow into Tuesday, will be mostly sunny and beautiful. High tomorrow, 84. Tuesdays, high 83. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Jeremy Pearson for AM860, The Answer. Can you picture what will be so limitless and free? Desperately in need of some stranger's hand. In a desperate land. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, and we're going to start putting together our own atomic bomb. Yes, folks, right here on the radio, we're going to build a nuclear device. 
I'm all over it, man. I'm telling you. But we're going to keep it simple, though. So let's use the design that the guys out in Los Alamos at the Manhattan Project used in World War II. That was the first bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima, and that was a uranium-235 bomb. Okay, we just went through how we're going to enrich all of our uranium and make it so that it's weapons-grade. Uh, we've turned this uranium hexafluoride into a gas, and then we've gotten out the U-235 and the U-238. We use that for something else. The U-235, that's the isotope that'll blow. That's the good stuff, so to speak, man. We got the good stuff right here. Yeah. And so we convert this into uranium dioxide powder, and then we press these little pellets into fuel so they can be transported. Now, this can be used as... Uh, Reactor pellets, if you get the highly refined U-235, then we'll have to deal with that a little bit differently. So the size of our nuclear fuel assemblies are going to be different from what we need to make a nuclear bomb. And by the way, again, you cannot have a nuclear explosion in a nuclear reactor plant, a plant that makes electricity, that makes energy for us to use. You can't. It will not. You cannot do it. But if we have enough U-235 that's purified to about 90 to 95%, we can make a bomb. We'll have to figure out how to get that later. So uranium, as our good friend Steve told us, is very dense, very heavy. It's 1.6 times more dense than lead. And the density increases with weight. We know that. So let's look at a gallon of milk. A gallon jug of milk weighs about 8 pounds. A gallon jug of uranium weighs 150 pounds, and we only need about 25 to 35 pounds. So we don't need a whole lot. You can fit it on top of your desk easily, but don't get it too close or it might blow up. There's not much we can do right now because all of our good centrifuges are being sent over to the Iranians by our friends, the Russians. Although I guess if we outbid the Iranians, we could probably get some ourselves. So now, let's just think as if we had the U-235. Again, it has to be about 90 to 95% pure. And so now we want to build a bomb. Now, the bomb that the guys out in Los Alamos made in World War II was in what looked like a traditional bombshell. It even had a little tail fan on it and a little motor to move it down. But we don't need all that. So instead of a big, long, skinny bomb like they had, let's just go get a big metal container, high, high container like a, an oil can, an oil barrel, or even a big, tall garbage can that's made of metal. Oh, going to have to reinforce it a little bit because, you know, this is going to weigh 500 to 1,000 pounds. So we'll get some chain link fence over at Home Depot and we can wrap that around it and make a nice little basket for it. That way we can pick it up and handle it later too. Now how are we going to set off the nuclear explosion? Well, we know that there is a certain amount of nuclear material that has to be brought very close together for a nuclear explosion to happen. We call that supercritical Critical mass is when you get heat generated like in a 
nuclear reactor supercritical is when you get the kaboom. So we're going to do it like the guys did it back in the 40s. We're just going to make a gun. How are we going to do that? Well, we need a shell. An empty shell will be fine. We can use uh, any aircraft gun shells, the casings. Oh, by the way, you can get those at your Army surplus store. They're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. And a lot of people collect that kind of stuff. And we're going to have to pack this thing with enough explosives to fire off our piece of uranium-235 that's going to be our bullet. And it's going to be shot into a larger piece of uranium. And when the two come together, then we're going to reach supercritical mass, and we can get a chain reaction going. And these things are moving at almost the speed of light, so it happens quick. So we'll need a little bit of a charge. So what are we going to do to get a charge? Well, July 4th, I want everybody to save about 20 M80s, and we'll dump it all together, and that should be more than enough. So we'll have some explosive material behind that bullet of uranium so we can drive it into the larger piece of uranium. What are we going to use for a gun barrel? Well, we can use... Uh, if we can find an old anti-aircraft gun, we can use the barrel of that, or we can make our own and go to Home Depot or somewhere and get some tubing, and we'll slide smaller tubes into larger tubes until we get something close to what we need to drive this piece of uranium down the barrel of our gun. So we can do that, and then we have to be able to suspend it, so we'll need a little more. We'll get some metal straps while we're over there at Home Depot, and... We can bend them and shape them so that we can make this whole thing sit inside of our garbage can without moving until we want it to move. It'll need a little electronic detonator. Get it off of any number of appliances. We just need a, just a little timer, electronic timer. And when it goes off, it gives a little charge. That charge fires the conventional explosives in our bullet the stuff we save from our M80s, and drives that piece of uranium, the bullet made of uranium-235, drives it forward into our larger piece. Now, one of the problems that the guys had back in the 40s was that a lot of the neutrons were being lost because they were just escaping out through the wall of the, of the uh, shell, which was metal, but it, it didn't stop these neutrons. And they needed more concentration of neutrons coming back into the reaction to make it really cook and get going. So what they did is they took the U-238 that had been purified because they got the U-235 out. The U-238 is a little heavier than the U-235. So if you wrap that around as a shielding, Number one, it'll protect all the people that are hauling this around. Number two, it'll reflect all those neutrons back because the neutrons can't get through it. It's too thick. It's too dense. So we need a little bit of U-238 to wrap around that. And we're cooking now, guys. We're cooking. Okay, but now we've got to have something that will actually shoot off some neutrons to get the whole thing cooking. And we can do this with different metals with different properties. 
beryllium and plutonium. I'm sorry, polonium and beryllium. These are two rare earth metals, I believe, as I recall. One, as it decays, will give off a type of energy we call an alpha particle, which is basically part of a helium atom. And this will collide with the other, which will then make that one give off some neutrons. So that's our, our little spark to get everything going once we've driven all this together. Shouldn't be too hard to find those. We can go to Fisher Scientific, start there, and see if they know anybody that will sell us a, a little bit. We don't need much, you know, an ounce or so. So now we've got our bomb basically put together. Of course, we're waiting for the Russians to deliver the U-235 that we ordered last year. That's the only hang-up here. Now, if you get a hold of some plutonium, we can do it with even less smaller bomb. We don't need but 10 to 20 pounds of that. I think Steve said it was that. I can't remember. But at any rate, a very small amount. By the way, next person who calls me and gives me the answer, what was the name of the first nuclear bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima? I'll tell you the second one was Fat Man. And the first person that calls me with the answer to that will get a $25 gift certificate. I am at 877 969 8600. That's 877 969 8600. Give me a call. That question is What was the name of the first bomb dropped on Hiroshima? The guys in, in Los Alamos named everything. They even named the Geiger counters. One of them they called a cutie pie because the guy who put it together called his girlfriend cutie pie. So then it's become known. <laughs> in the nuclear world is a cutie pie, and it's just a little handheld uh, meter that checks for radiation, tells us how much there is and is not. <clears throat> so we're, we're getting close now, okay? We got this device, and we're just waiting to get our uranium-235, and we can put it together, put it all together in the basement. By the way, we'll need some lead shielding to work with this. So got to have, uh, it could be, it could be just a rolling stand of, of lead and steel put together. got one at the office, by the way. It has a little, a little uh, glass window that you can look through that's uh, leaded glass so the radiation doesn't get through and hurt you. need to put on some gloves and some jackets and skirts that are made of lead to protect ourselves. Now we can start working with this stuff. And once we get everything put together, then we're going to be okay. We won't need to uh, wear all this equipment, but we'll have to check it with our cutie pie now and make sure that the bomb is well sealed and not leaking out any radiation because you and I don't want to, want to be killed by this stuff. And we don't want to kill anybody else. I mean, this is mutually assured destruction. That's what we want. We want governments everywhere to understand that they can be brought down, and with their own weapons. But we don't want a nuclear war. But we do want a nuclear bomb. I don't know how that works, Joe. I get so confused over this stuff. At any rate, so we're building our bomb. We're getting close to having a completed article. Uh, anybody know what the first atomic bomb was called? I'll give you a $25 gift certificate. 877-969-8600. That's 877 877- Nine six nine eighty six hundred. All right, so we've got our big can. 
We've got the U-238 shaped and molded in a in a almost spherical fashion, and that we will put our larger slug of uranium-235 into, and then the smaller slug is going to be in our bullet, and we've got it suspended inside our garbage can. It's getting a little heavy, you know. It's probably a thousand pounds of, of stuff here now that we've got it all together, and we've got our chain link fence. Of course, we'll need to seal the top because we don't want anybody peeking in there and see what's going on, and we'll need some detonators to get everything moving to fire the bullet, and we'll so we'll need a few double-A batteries, and we'll need a little timer switch that's electric, and we'll need to separate the polonium and the beryllium out. So what we'll separate them. How can you keep the alpha particles from hitting the other piece of material? piece of aluminum foil will do it. Alpha particles do not penetrate. And if you get hit by a bunch of them, you'll have a bad skin burn. But all we've got to do is put a little piece of foil and as the bullet goes down, it'll separate the foil between the two compounds that will get the neutrons going. And our U-238, our heavier isotope that's surrounding our U-235, which is the kaboom stuff, will bounce all the neutrons it can back into the mix. And this happens almost at the speed of light. I mean, this is really quick. These things are moving fast, baby. And I know you're wondering, well, how do we know about all these things, these subatomic particles? Well, they were originally inferred by the mathematics, and then the physicists went to work to actually find and develop them. So we've got a caller on the line. So we've got Radar and Palmetto Beach. Radar, what you got for me, man? Good morning, Mr. Uh, Dr. Bill. I love your show. I love you. Uh, <laughs> it's little boy over uh, Nagasaki uh, August 9th, 1945, I do believe. Yep, that's it, little boy. And the second and, one was uh, called Fat Man. And the, and the first one was like it exploded at like uh, 1,890 feet, which is, they didn't really reach ground zero. They're like smack down, I don't think. And the, uh, and the little boy, I think, detonated at 90 feet, I think. Sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I'll, I'll take your word for it. Uh, but uh, just 1,000 feet and flattened uh, a whole city of 100,000 sure people. That's, that's, that's why we don't. You know, <laughs> hey, I was listening to those figures, and those were surprising. Not so yep. much that Russia had more than us, but. Uh, how low the numbers were of the other countries that you mentioned. Well, it's just for deterrence, you know. I mean, you know, most most countries do not want a nuclear war. And, of course, the two big powers that have vied for uh, influence and control over the planet have been the United States and Russia, whether it's communist Russia or Putin Russia or Tsarist Russia. The Russians have always had their eye on expansion. We don't want to expand anymore. We just want to make sure that what we have is safe, and we want to make sure that we have friends in the world, and we've never attacked a democracy, and we have never had a democracy attack us. But, you know, the British, let's face it, Canada, Australia, the United States, Great Britain, and uh, maybe India, you know, the stepchild. I mean, if you... Pakistan? Yeah, well, Pakistan's not going to go with us on anything, but the four of us... You know, you got mom and her three kids, and uh, we are in a position to counter almost anything anywhere on the planet. 
So Great Britain has some, and they helped develop the technology. By the way, the Jewish side of my family was integral in this. A lot of the physicists and mathematicians were Jewish that worked at the Fermi Institute in Chicago and at the Manhattan Project in Los Alamos. Sure, Oppenheimer. Yeah, Oppenheimer. Uh, Tiller, who developed the uh, fusion bomb, uh, he uh, was Jewish, and he was actually for creating more bombs, and he, th- he thought that Oppenheimer was a little crazy when he said that, you know, we should get rid of all the bombs yeah. and this and that, and Tiller yeah, said, they sure, they don't sure do that, <laughs> don't give it to the Russians and not us. Yeah, they, they sure ostracized him after that, didn't they, Mr. Oppenheimer? Yeah, you don't, you don't mouth off about something like that. Well, listen, Guy, I got another caller on the line. Let me grab this one and see what Patrick in Tampa has to say. Come on, Patrick, you still on? Yeah, I think it's uh, the Enola Gay. That's the plane, baby. That's it. That's the plane that dropped the first bomb. By the way, I saw one of the guys that was in that crew in my office several years ago. He was pretty demented by then, and he was with his daughter. I tried to get her to bring in something and and, – have him sign it like a picture or something, but I never heard back from her. Oh, wow. Fascinating. I talked with one of the guys who was at Oak Ridge. That's where all the centrifuges were, and that's where the uranium tetrafluoride gas was uh, cycled and turned into more purified U-235. So fascinating our history there. That was in Tennessee, right? Yeah, that's in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, and we swam meets there, and we, you know, saw the plant every time we went, and and I lived near there as an adult, and uh, Watts Bar Reservoir is where they got a lot of the water for cooling, and also ended up having a lot of the heavy metals that were used to extract the uranium, uh, like mercury, so you're not supposed to eat the fish in the central part of the Watts Bar Reservoir, or not a great number. Up in the channels, that's different, but in the main body of the lake, there's too much mercury. So, all right, Patrick, I, looks like I got Paulette. Let me let her come on and say a few words. Maybe she's got somewhere we can build this thing. Thanks for oh, calling. Thanks, Bill. Yeah. Oh, she dropped off. Okay, Paulette. Well, Paulette, we love you anyway, honey. So we're about ready for, for our bomb to be put together. Now we have to figure somewhere to store it, uh, somewhere that's got a lot of concrete, heavily reinforced. Uh, will stand up to hurricanes and tornadoes, earthquakes. Hey, Joe, it sounds like my house. It sounds exactly like my house. Uh, my house is built out of reinforced concrete. Oh, my God. The guy who did it, uh, we used uh, insulated concrete forms. They're like Lego blocks that you stick together in the middle's hollow, and then you put your rebar down there and pour your concrete in there, and we poured 200 cubic yards of concrete into this house. We have 25 tons of steel. That's a lot of steel, baby. And this place, the guy who did it, he said, I've built safe rooms for uh, for the government, and this is better built than any safe room I've ever built for the government. So that's pretty cool. All right, so we got all the raw materials except the uranium, U-235. So we're going to have a scavenger hunt the rest of the week. You guys, somebody find out where we can get some U-235. Call your friends in Russia or wherever, and let's see if we can get this thing hooked up and ready to go. Then we can sit down and have some some cordial negotiations with Obama and his cabinetry. Well, we're going away now, Joe's starting to play the music in the background. This is the end, isn't it, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> 
this is it. I mean, we're going away. But I'm going to let Joe go ahead and play that for the rest of the show. Love you guys. I'll see you next week. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. And Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.